They are guides, all guides, and in unexpected places. You'll meet their friendly faces, and a ready hand besides. There's not much danger of finding you're a stranger for a commissioner or ranger. They are guides, all guides. Hi, and welcome to Guides Own, the unofficial guiding podcast where we talk about everything guiding. I'm Taryn. And I'm Marissa. In this episode, we're going down under to visit our sisters in Australia. We'll be learning all about Girl Guides Australia, including its history, current program, awards, biscuits, and more. Biscuits. I like biscuits. Um, <laughs> speaking of those delicious biscuits, our form... Our girl guide of this episode is none other than Australian food and cooking writer, Margaret Fullen. You'll want to listen to the end to hear about how she shaped Australian food culture and food standards. I know I am certainly intrigued about that. Uh, Make sure you stick around for a fun campfire song at the end that is very popular with the guides in Australia, Um, so I'm told. It's called I've Got That BP Spirit. I don't know if I've heard that one before. I will say, I didn't either, but it's very catchy. You will want to start singing it. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's a good one. I actually, interestingly enough, when I was looking it up, it came up on the um, Ontario Let's Sing website where guiders can get resources for, like, songs. So people here definitely know of it. I've just never heard it. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... Due to a request from one of our listeners, um, we've mentioned her before, Eloise, uh, we are covering guiding in Australia on this episode. Um, and feel free to let us know if you want us to cover your country in terms of guiding or Girl Scout history, and we can do our best to do so. Um, Australia is the first one that was requested, so it's the first one we're doing. Yeah. Um, and there's many more countries to go. <laughs> So, um, in terms of guiding in Australia, it actually started as early as 1909, so pretty much as soon as the girls in England were realizing that scouting was a thing and they wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, so, it caught on very, very quickly in Australia, too, and which is sort of surprising when you think about the distance between England and Australia versus, like, England and Canada, you know, mm-hmm. much shorter di- distance between us and them. Um, but yeah, it started in Australia, and the first guides group was formed actually in Tasmania, and they were called the Girl Peace Scouts. Uh, <laughs> kind of cute name. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, in New South Wales, there was an Australian League of Girl Aids, um, and they were recognized in affiliation with the Boy Scouts Association, so they sort of had a tie, but they weren't formally called like Girl Guides or Girl Scouts. Yeah. Um, And in Victoria, the Florence Nightingale Girls AIDS was established um, that year, 1909, and was then recognized as the Baden-Powell Girl Guides in 1911. So, again, they started out with not being associated, but then a couple years later they were. And then in Western Australia, guiding began in 1915 at a public meeting in the Perth Town Hall, and they were under the sponsorship of the Women's Service Guild. Um, So various groups popping up sort of all over Australia and the different states, which is really cool to see. Yeah, it's um, cool to see that um, girls in Australia had the same kind of opinions about Boy Scouts that they did in England and decided, like, yeah, we'll just, you know, kind of take your program and do our own thing, um, kind of yeah. beside you. I think it's interesting, too. I When I read the um, name Florence Nightingale, I was like, oh, that's an interesting person to name yourself after. Um, she is most well known for being a nurse or working in nursing. So I think that's an interesting connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they named themselves because they were focused on, like, the health, healthy living side of things or being, like, nurses. But just an interesting coincidence, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they um, existed for a long time, also, like, unaware of each other's existence, just because, like, they were quite far apart, if you've ever looked at a map of Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, these these locations are all spread across the country, um, and at that time, um, you know, hard to communicate, but also, um, there was a scarcity of detailed records, so people weren't keeping records on what they were doing, um, and... So these pioneers, basically, of guiding in Australia 
hadn't really realized that this was a significant thing that they were doing, that they were establishing, um, or that, you know, it was going to turn into a movement. They didn't realize that. So they didn't really have any motivation to keep notes or anything. Yeah. They just thought, you know, this is just a thing we're doing, right? Like, why, why keep notes? So, yeah, just sort of went on um, unknowingly between the, the various groups. But then, eventually, each of the states became organized together. Or, sorry, each of the states became organized on their own. And they set up, you know, their own headquarters. And they would form, like, a state executive and appoint a state commissioner um, so that was actually shortly after they formed. So for Tasmania, it was really only two years later in 1911, they formed a, a state organization. And then that followed by South Australia in 1913, Western Australia in 1915, Queensland in 1919, New South Wales in 1920, and Victoria was the last in 1921. So they were basically each forming a solid like organization, a system, a way of... Mm-hmm. working um and i'm assuming then that they took the realization that okay now they're all the other states are doing it too like they i think they must have formed some sort of communication at that point yeah um and then interestingly enough um the national organization finally formed in 1926 um and in 1926 they had that first meeting um and they were called the girl guides association of australia and that meeting was held in Melbourne, um, and that's yeah where they formed their national organization. Um, but between that and before, they actually had broken apart. Um, they had disbanded during the outbreak of World War One, which was started in 1914. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, they came back together and became uh, actually officially registered as branches of the British Association. So that's sort of. An interesting, you know, they started out being independent. Um, one was recognized by Baden Powell, um, but then they, you know, disbanded, came back together under British, and then they formed big national organization. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's very interesting. It sort of has its own roots, and then it comes back to the root of girl guiding in England, mm-hmm. um, and they sort of, you know, merge the two together. A few notable dates. Um, In 1985, the association celebrated their 75th birthday. um, And at that time, they had approximately 100,000 members. Um, So, you know, fairly big, but maybe not when you compare it to the United States. Um, Their numbers are huge, but it's all about population in terms of your country. So, yeah, very interesting. Um, A really cool thing to note, too, I thought this was sort of interesting i don't think i've ever heard this of anywhere else but um prior to the 1990s girls who were joining uh, the girl guiding association in australia um they joined a unit called a brownie guide unit so they had they were called a brownie guide unit they were just that's what they were and um i don't think it mattered what age you were you were just part of a brownie guide unit it's like they (laughs) just merged these two words together um, yeah, and, you know, would then become uh, a member of Girl Guides in their state, which is like us becoming members of Girl Guides in our provinces or territories yeah. here in Canada. Um, yeah. Um, but then, after much research that the association had done in 1996, all members of the state Girl Guide organizations became known as just guides. So, much simpler. Um, I think mm-hmm. Brownie Guide must have confused a lot of people. Yeah. I know I thought that was kind of weird when I read that. I was like, oh, you have too many words in there. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, though, you'll still hear the name brownies used in a lot of places um, because a lot of those people who were a brownie in their youth have not either been made aware of the change or just, you know, hold on to old traditions. So you might still hear the name brownie pop up, but they um, often not refer to that anymore. Um yeah, and then in 2004, Girl Guides Australia sort of described its mission at that time, you know, after all those years, as being um, helping girls and young women grow into confident, self-respecting, responsible community members. Um, so, you know, very basic, what you would assume would be the same for everyone else, um, that motto or that vision and mission, you know, it's very common spread across all the different members of WAGS. 
so yeah, yeah girl guiding. It's yeah. definitely what guiding around the world stands for. So it makes sense that it's mm -hmm. similar in, you know, every country. Yeah. And I mean, that was 16 years ago, but still, like, I find that it still carries on with maybe, like, slight tweaks to the wording. But otherwise, we, we've held the same sort of vision and mission mm -hmm. since inception. Yeah. Um, so guiding now in Australia is um, quite a bit different in terms of the way the program works, um, which is very similar to, like, us. I, we went through changes at a very similar time. They, I think, went through their changes first, I think. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, they are currently one of the largest organizations in Australia for girls and young women. I don't think that's a surprise. That's probably common among a lot of countries. Um, they talk about being a non-formal educational program that is both dynamic and flexible and offers, you know, the value-based training and life skills and decision-making and leadership. You know, these are all things we've heard before. Um, so they're very much following the same stream. Um, and, terms of overall membership they've had over 1 million australian women who are either still in guides or have been in guides in total that's a lot so, yeah it is a lot um especially if you think about their membership numbers back in 1985 being at a hundred thousand like that takes mm -hmm. quite a long time to build up then over to get to up to 1 million in total yeah um Currently, as of the date that I accessed the Girl Guide Association of Australia's website, they have 24,000 members, which um, approximately 18,000 of those are youth. So significant amount of those are youth, which is good to see. Um, mm -hmm. You don't want like more volunteers than youth. That would sort of look kind of funny, I think. Um, so yeah, good to see. Um, yeah, so as I was mentioning earlier, they sort of went through a program changed um this sort of alludes to it too so the way the units are organized in australia is very unique i don't think i've heard of this elsewhere um so it very much depends on the unit you join um the units can decide how they operate some of the units operate in terms of special skill areas so things like equestrian or sports or outdoor activities so they are like uniquely focused on that said activity which I think is really interesting so if you're really say you really like to do horseback riding you know you join an equestrian group if that's what your group wants to do maybe there's an area um in your city like maybe your city's just known for having like for us for instance imagine like we created a girl guide unit that was focused solely on hockey like it was a <laughs> hockey team but it was girl guides like I think that's what what they're sort of describing yeah. and I, I think that's it kind really of sounds like treks units um yeah so guide pathfinder like age girls in a joint unit that's very much focused on camping and outdoors yeah um, whereas this is like goes beyond even the outdoors it goes like two very specific things that you wouldn't necessarily think of girl guides doing i just oh that was really interesting okay. but not all the units are organized that way um others are um organized by age, which is what we're used to, right? Having Sparks, Brownies, Guides, Pathfinders. They don't call themselves those individual unit, uh, those individual branch names. They're just all guides, which I think okay. is interesting. Do but they have they divisions between ages, like nationally? They can, right? So these, these, these units can have them. So you, in your community, there may be units that are just meant for that Spark age or that Brownie age or hmm. so on. Uh, but n not all units have to be. I think it, it might be to do with the fact that their population is so spread out yeah and in the less highly populated areas they have to make do with what the girls you know what they have so like like we do in the more northern or remote areas we make like mixed branch units we make mm -hmm. like sprownies or like brownies and guides and or sparks brownies and guides and you know that i think that's just happens more often over there so it's easier to just you know say like okay instead of being divided by age group we're going to divide by something else and we'll yeah. focus on this i mean they still cater very much to diff the different ages in terms of the program they offer they just can't have a unit slowly just for that age group it has mm -hmm. to be you know catered to everyone which i think is really cool like they've yeah. been able to adapt clearly and it's you know and like i said it's all about the guides and the leaders who are part of that unit them they sort of get to decide that um so although they don't have those original names, 
some of them will still hold on to those traditional guiding words, such as brownie. Um, they also have one called gumnut, which I, I'm assuming is the, like the spark name that you would sometimes use. But yeah. yeah, at a national level, that's just not something they do. It's totally up to where you are. Um, I think it's kind of cool. And in, because of that, some of the units have also just come up with, you know, fun names for themselves. And they call themselves Rainbow Star Guides or Dolphin Guides. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone's a guide, no matter what age you are. But you can sort of make up your own unit name, which I think is kind of fun. You get yeah. to incorporate your unit's personality. Um, very fun. Um, yeah, and then within their units, they have patrols, of course, um, which, you know, can range depending on the size of your unit, but they say about four to eight girls. Um, and that comes from national in terms of their, the numbers that they were giving there. Okay. Um, yeah. So girls can join, um, guides in their first year of school. Um, and all members under the age of 18 are guides, as I said. So they're all called guides, no matter what age you are in terms of being a child. Um, any members who are 18 plus who work in leadership roles, support roles, are members of Trefoil Guilds, which I think is interesting. You can already be in Trefoil Guilds after you turn 18. Yeah. Um, but they do also have a similar program to Link over there. So adults who are 18 to 30 can also be a part of the OLAVE program, hmm. uh, which is kind of nice. Again, they have their own thing and I think they must experience the same thing we do is like when they go off to university there's this disconnect and if you don't have anything for them they're going to be disconnected yeah yeah it's uh hopefully they are only programs organized a little bit better than our link program because yeah one complaint I've heard over and over and over again about link is that it's too disorganized mm. that you're asking these young women who are all over the place to organize themselves into a unit um, and yeah. it unfortunately doesn't always happen, um, but it's a great entry or a great level of guiding. It just needs to be uh-huh. used more efficiently. Yeah, but, love to know. Yeah, I have some ins at National now, so I'll start <laughs> bugging her about it, see if I can get anything done. She can't change how old I am. <laughs> no. <laughs> she can't, you know. So, I don't know if you heard... Going off on a tangent, um, when we started the Trailblazer Link Trefoil group last year, um, somehow, somewhere, someone messed up and put me into Trefoil, not Link. Oh, yes, I do remember that. So, according to the system, <laughs> I'm a couple, year old, sort of, a couple years older than I am, and <laughs> wasn't quite prepared for that. It's too early to beep over 30. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> did, they, did they put your birth date in wrong, or did they just assign you to the wrong unit? Um, From what I understand, because my friend works in membership, um, it's an error for some, for, like, a number of people in their, I guess, now their 30s, so the first decade or so of people who are Sparks. Um, and I miss being such the great system it is, can't figure it out. (laughs) So, um, the only way to fix it would be to adjust my service years. Oh, and you don't want to mess with that. I'm not adjusting my service years. I will, because my birth date's right in IMS. Huh. Yeah. Weird. Weird. Well... Yeah, yeah. I guess it it all depends on if they can fix. But I mean, leave it as it is for now, right? Um, but yeah, so that program, like we like it over here in terms of being that the fact that they have a group for us, uh, mm-hmm. it does need work in terms of structure. Yeah. Um, but again, it's it's sort of a program that's up to those girls um, at that age group because it's you know you're you're supposed to start taking on leadership roles. Um, whether that actually means you do leadership in terms of being a guider, mm-hmm. a leader, or you're taking on leadership roles with your own peers at that age level. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they do have a group like that, which is cool. Um, in terms of their promise and law, um, all Australian guides, both youth and adults, make the exact same promise and use the same laws. Um, again, which is 
probably due to the fact that they don't have those branches across mm-hmm. the country. Um, so here, like, Sparks have a different promise than Brownies, and Brownies have a different promise than Guides, Pathfinders, Rangers, Adults. Yeah. So um, we broke ours up a little bit just to make it easier, but they all have the same one, um, which I think probably just makes it real easy when you're going up in terms of age. Like, you never have to remember something new. Um when yeah. an Australian guide makes her promise, she does it at a special unit ceremony where she receives her promise badge, which is worn on her uniform, um, which is really, you know, nice to have a to have a badge. I think I would have preferred a badge as opposed to a pin in terms of making my promise, but mm-hmm. eh, you get what you get. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so their promise is, you will hear, very similar to ours here in Canada now. Um, it's, I promise that I will do my best to be true to myself and develop my beliefs to serve my community in Australia and live by the guide law. So, you know, similar in terms of some of that wording, um, yeah. you know, focusing on beliefs versus like your faith or religion mm-hmm. um, and serving the community in your country and living, of course, by the guide law. That's always, you know, part of it. Yeah. Um, and then their law, they have um, seven parts of their lot it is again very similar to ours it's respect myself and others be considerate honest and trustworthy be friendly to others make choices for a better world use my time and abilities wisely be thoughtful and optimistic and live with courage and strength uh so all sound very familiar mm-hmm. the wording might be a little different but it's all there yeah so yeah promise and law very simple straightforward not too complicated. Um, so yeah, now into the program itself. Um, so they are focusing on a shared leadership and decision making at all ages. So they let all ages of girls sort of take on leadership roles in a in a sense, um, and you know get they get to make decisions. So without saying it, their program is also sort of girls first or girls driven. Mm-hmm. Um, so. They have also focused on the seven fundamentals of the Australian Guide program, which are based around the seven fundamental concepts of Baden Powell's philosophy. Um, and they make up, um, you know, the different program areas, so to say. They don't necessarily have program areas, but these are like the areas in which, you know, their program is based. So they've got promise and law, outdoors, world guiding, guiding traditions, patrol system leadership skills and service um i think it's really interesting that they focus on patrol system mm-hmm. um i guess we just don't really focus on that in our program because the patrols sort of fade out as you get older through yeah. the branches but um be curious to know what they do and like what what that sort of looks like in terms of activities yeah i wonder if it's kind of like, especially as we work with older girls, the Pathfinders and Rangers, how we have, um, I guess we kind of break them up into almost patrols, if you don't name them that, at camps and kind mm. of, you know, everyone has their tasks or chores to do throughout the day and, you know, you all kind of take turns. Um, mm-hmm. Or maybe something like what we do with the young girls, the Sparks and Brownies, and kind of, like, this is your group. Like, you know, you're kind of, like, be responsible for everyone in your group. Make sure everyone is, you know, okay and where they need to be and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think they, I I got the feeling that they also focus, like, a lot of the stuff, badge work they do is they do it in patrols, I think, is what I sort of got from reading a lot of stuff. Um, didn't like specifically say anything about it. Cause I think again, it depends on the unit, but sort of what that sounded like. Yeah. It could be, um, um, some units use a patrol system to kind of like break up the ages a little bit, let, you know, yeah. put older girls in a patrol together so they can work on a little bit more complex things than, you know, like the five-year-olds who are looking <laughs> at like, and learning very different skills at, you know, a time than a 10 or 15 year old yeah absolutely um so they also then um after all those sort of parts they also in each of those parts they focus on four different elements of the program so there's the physical side the people side the practical side and the self side like yourself um 
So they sort of, you know, look at those aspects. So they've got it really divided, interestingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, they say that guides of all ages are involved in the decision making, the planning, the implementing and the evaluating of their activities. Um, so, you know, it gives them a chance to sort of go through that process. Um, and they sort of um, also talk about that process as, you know, first you discover, then you decide, then you plan, then you do and then you check. Um, which is nice to have an evaluation um, process in place. Yeah, I think we ours is sort of built into the platform, but it's not up to the girls. It's sort of up to the leaders. Um, it's available, I think, to pathfinders and rangers to you know go through like the planning process. They can pick their activities. Mm-hmm. They can you know arrange the materials materials or equipment that they need. Then they do it themselves. Uh, and then they'll take attendance and then they'll, you know, basically check it off. But there, there isn't really necessarily an evaluation phase that we ever focused on a whole lot. I mean, you could definitely do it. Probably wouldn't be a bad idea. And we, you, you can also like, like, or dislike, um, certain activities on the girls first platform. So Mm -hmm. girls can say, I didn't like this activity or, oh, I really did like this activity. I guess that's sort of a form of evaluation, but it sounds like girl guides in Australia put a more emphasis on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then they also um, talk about how there's a variety of fun activities. Um, you know, they focus on all those different areas, um, you know, very similar to what we do. So they, you know, go camping. They have adventure activities like canoeing and skiing and archery. They, you know, have creative arts. They explore new cultures and religions. And, you know, they work on skill building. Um, so it sounds like a very similar in terms of the actual activities they do, um, you know, very similar things. Um, and again, like their activities could look like um, weekly meetings, um, camping to also expeditions and hikes. Um, and again, driven by the girls themselves um, and, you know, with assistance, of course, from their leaders. And it's all, you know, planned to match, you know, the various ages and the girls' abilities mm-hmm. are also taken into account. Um, so then I guess a good connection to that is that, um, they do have awards too. I think the first one I'll mention is that they do have an Olave Baden-Powell award, which is meant for that Olave program. Um, and it's like their peak achievement award. Um, and it involves a commitment between two to six years and, you know, they are completing various personal challenges in the areas of the guiding program that I mentioned before. Um, so, like, Promise and Law, our community, heritage and traditions, international guiding, um, social networks and self-development. So, very much a sort of an older, more adult-focused version of the programming. Um, they also have the Commonwealth Award, which is apparently open to guides in all Commonwealth countries, which we are a part of. I was like, oh, I should look this up and see what it's all about. Yeah. Um, But again, it includes challenges based on the history of guiding, the knowledge of the Commonwealth and a Commonwealth country other than your own. Um, It talks about community action, so like service projects and things like that. Um, And then also focusing on two areas of the following. Um, So you could do health, environment, cultural heritage, uh, fitness, outdoors, public speaking or debating, creative writing, citizenship. So very wide um, selection that you can choose from they also of course have the ability to do the duke of edinburgh's award again i think available to the commonwealth countries if i'm not mistaken you can do it here in canada as well we can i think we're also possibly going to cover that itself on a totally different episode um but as a brief explanation there's bronze silver and gold levels of that award and it is open to any girl who is 14 years and over i think both boys and girls can do it. I think they were just talking about girls in terms of the Australian guiding program. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it basically gives them an opportunity again to learn new skills, um, given service and participate in a recreational activity um, or expedition. Expeditions are a big thing um, as well as residential camps. So big awards. Um, and then they have the younger girl awards. So there's a Queens guide award, which is the, peak youth achievement for girl guides in Australia and it focuses on personal development self-awareness community service um it is 
also seen to be a very significant commitment. It's sort of like the Pathfinder Ranger level I'm what is what I got from it. Um, and it's actually, this award is held in really high regard around Australia and can actually count towards their high school graduation certificate in some of the states. Um, yeah, so, the yeah. Canada Corps does the same thing in various provinces throughout Ontario, or throughout Canada. Ontario, <laughs> not being one of them. But I, yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember <laughs> ever getting no, anything. Um, them, but. but I have friends who went, in high, went to high school in Nova Scotia and... Alberta, and I believe both of them were able to get credit for their Canada Accords. Nice. One or two yeah, high school credits. Should. Yeah, right? like, like, the amount of work we put into those, we should get yeah. something, but... Mm. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> um, so that one is open to gu- um, guys who are 14 or older, and they can begin it at that time. Um, but they all the challenges must be completed by their 18th birthday. So a little bit different. It doesn't end at the end of the guiding year. Um, it just they have like a set four years exactly to complete it. So they can start as soon as they're 14. And they have to finish before their 18th birthday. On well, or before. That makes sense considering you know right? if they don't have the branches system and like everything's kind of sorted. You start like whenever you start high or mm-hmm. school and then go until you turn 18 at which point you just automatically become um a trifoil or link or not link a lave member mm-hmm. um so you know giving them that kind of parameter makes sense versus you know by the time you're at by the time you finish your branch yeah. You know what I think is weird, too? I was just thinking about this is that I remember when I turned 18, I was still in Rangers. Um, my birthday's in January. So um, basically, as soon as I turned 18, they're like, well, technically, you're an adult now. And technically, you have to do certain things. Like, I, I think I had to fill out, like, a different form in terms of, like, I don't remember if I ended up filling up a different health form because I was 18. But I also, like, I had to do certain things that I can't remember what they were. It wasn't a lot, but it was like, okay, as soon as you turn 18, you have to, you know, let them know and, or they'll know and they want, they want to uh, make sure that you're now following adult guidelines as opposed to, it's really weird to turn 18 when you're in the middle of something like that. It sounds like it. My parents were very excited when I turned 18 because I did so many trips. They had, (laughs) it was like, oh yeah, commission forums every month. And they're like, well, you're 18. So you no longer, we no longer have to sign stuff every month. I remember that being really excited about that. I no longer had to, I could sign my own permission forms and I could like technically sign myself out of school, which I think I only ever did once that it was <laughs> for a guiding reason. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's fun turning 18 when you're in a group like that. Yeah. Um, and then they have, um, back to the awards, they have a BP award, which is like Bain Powell award. Um, but this one is open to guides aged 11 to 18. So again, um, starts at like that guide level, but you can actually complete it up until you're 18. So that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the junior BP award, which is like a more junior level of that, which is open to guides age seven to 11. So sort of like the brownie guide age again, um, yeah. which is kind of cool. Um, and then lastly, last thing I would touch on for Girl Guides Australia is the fact that they also sell Girl Guide cookies, although they call them biscuits. Um, and they have actually been selling biscuits for over 60 years now, um, a long time. And, uh, for their campaign this year, the 2020 campaign, they actually have three different types of biscuits. Um, they traditionally had different ones. I think they had the chocolate chip cookie and a, like a shortbread sort of like a basic cookie. And then they had mini chocolate chip ones. Um, Mm -hmm. so they've changed, um, for this year and the flavors are triple chalk um, Anzac and lemon, lime, and coconut, um, which is a gluten-free biscuit. Um, so the triple chalk or the triple chocolate is, you know, has like milk and dark chocolate as well as white couverture chocolate. So it's like a, it looks really good. If you look it up, it's like, oh, that looks really good. I want to try it. It sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Anzac is the classic Anzac biscuit from Australia, um, which is from their, you know, their cultural um, and it combines rich golden syrup, creamy butter, rolled oats, and shredded coconut, um, which creates that traditional Anzac biscuit flavor. Um, so that's really cool. I wouldn't have thought that there was coconut in there. Oh, yeah. I'm, that's cool. It, it yeah. sort of sounds like a basic oatmeal cookie until you add the coconut. And you're like, oh, that's different. Mm-hmm. Kind of like that. 
And then, yeah, they have a lemon, lime, and coconut. So it's sort of like a a, a tropical sort of flavor. Um, and that's a gluten-free one. Now, the interesting things about their biscuits is that they come individually wrapped because they are 50-gram cookies. So they're those quite big. They're, big. they're like, cookies. you know, those like, I, I'm, I'm assuming, I haven't ever held one in my hands based on the weight. They're like those nice, big, individually wrapped ones. Yeah. Um, so you buy them individually like that. And they're $2.50 in Australian dollars. I don't know what that would convert to to us. I think it's around the same price. Um, I haven't recently done a Canadian dollar to Australian dollar conversion, so I'm not entirely sure. Um, But yeah, so you can buy them individually and the girls can purchase their cases based on the orders that they get um, in the individual boxes, or they can get a mix of the triple chocolate and the Anzac half and half in a box, but they cannot mix the other flavors together. So it's kind of interesting. Um, Yeah, and then the biscuits this year for their 2020 campaign are made by the Snowy Mountain Cookies in Jindabyne, New South Wales. And they appear to be selling them starting either end of this month or beginning of August. So that's their sort of winter spring months. Um, So and again, they just sell that one time of year. So it's like one thing to look forward to Mm -hmm. and... So yeah. two fifty in Australian dollar is about two twenty five in the Canadian dollar. Okay, P- we're pretty close. Yeah. So not bad, I guess, for a nice big cookie like that. Mm-hmm. I imagine they're well made. Yeah, it's nice. I also read that apparently in Australia, their plastic, the the wrapping for those individual cookies is actually recyclable. You can recycle Ooh. that uh, packaging, which is kind of nice. I know here at least. In the region we live, you definitely can't recycle that kind of plastic. You can recycle some of the plastic bags, but it's, like, more the shopping bags as opposed to, like, the crinkly yeah. plastic stuff. Like, the, the outer wrapping, basically, on almost everything. <laughs> so, yeah, they've, you know, got a nice sustainable um, way of packaging, which is mm. good to hear. So, yeah, that's all about Girl Guides Australia that we could fit into this episode, first of all, and also <laughs> that I could find um so fun to learn a little bit more about where they came from and how they worked a little different to us but not drastically different in terms of you know our ideas and our values yeah um so that brings us to more food talk and this (laughs) week's she was a girl guide you know margaret uh full-on Nancy Reagan, Helen Hayes, Jan Davis, Jean Sauvé, Carrie Fisher, William's sister, Shirley Temple Black, Tammy Duckworth, Kathy Frost, Candace Bergen, Lucille Ball, Debbie Reynolds, Princess Margaret, Hillary Clinton. Did you know she was a girl guide? Busting down the door a hundred years or more. Did you know she was a girl guide? Here to let you know she was a guide, you know. Did you know she was a girl guide? Here to let you know so Margaret that. Fulton was an Australian food and cooking writer um, who is known, at least in Australia, as the Australian Julia Child. Um, <laughs> so definitely, like, right off the bat, really big deal in Australia. Um, and, like, while I was researching, like, I found that little tidbit fairly late in my research and, like, Every time I read a nude article or something, I'm like, it sounds like she would be like Julia Child minus the CIA work. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, she was born in Scotland in October 1924 and died only a co- last year. Um, only last year in New South Wales, uh, July uh, 2019. Um, and she was like the first big cooking writer in Australia. Um, Before she kind of made it big, Australian cuisine was, um, sounded like the boringest food ever. It was like a protein that was like boiled or like, like made on the barbecue and like boiled veggies. And like that was every meal every day. It wasn't, you know, a whole lot of excitement um but she had definitely changed that um so 
Her family moved to Australia when she was only three, so she's grown up there. Um, I couldn't really find anything about her early life until she started working as a cooking teacher at the Overseas Corporation um, and was later promoted to a sales manager um, and partly due to her role um, in sales at this business, she introduced the pressure cooker to Australia. Um, and from being a sales manager, um, she went on to um, work as a home economist um, for a leading firm of cereal manufacturers. Um, and uh, while she was at this company, I couldn't find out where, um, just, you know, a leading cereal manufacturer, um, she would host talks and cooking shows and events for, uh, communities. Um, and at one point she was quoted saying, with more wives and mothers working, speed and ease in food preparation is a must. Many women have no training in homemaking and packaging packaged and ready to, uh, ready prepared foods like cereals, cake, pastry, and biscuit mis mixes, canned and frozen meals make life easier. So very much on, you know, that fifties, um, women homemaker kind of, um, way of life, um, trying to, you know, make everything as efficient as possible so you could be, you know, around. And then during that time, so throughout most of the 50s, she was becoming a rising star um, due to her role as a home economist. Um, and she was appearing for ads for uh, Johnson products and sellotape, including um, showing her scrapbooks of recipes cut out from um, newspapers and magazines neatly taped into like a notebook. She uh, eventually started working for the Women's Day, a, a woman's lifestyle magazine in Australia, um, and became the food editor there. Um, so definitely started making it big um, in the late 50s and early 60s, um, starting to definitely encourage more Australians to eat a little bit more creatively. Um, mm. but it wasn't until her first cookbook, the Margaret, uh, Fulent cookbook that was published in 1968, um, that she really hit it big and became a star. Um, it was an instant success. Uh, the first printing had, um, a hundred thousand copies and they had to order a second run almost immediately. Um, just, they couldn't keep them on the shelves. Um, her second cookbook, um, an Italian-themed one, was published a couple years later in 1973 and recommended that cooks look for specialty ingredients in a good uh, deli or gourmet section of a large retail store. Only use the best quality Italian olive oil and when grating <laughs> cheese like Parmesan or Mono, buy it in wedges and grate as needed. Um, so definitely, um, wanted people to eat, you know, good quality food, but, um, throughout her culinary career, she was very adamant of not being overly pretentious about food. Mm. Um, quoted later in life saying, I think it's very important not to get too smug about how clever you are about cooking and about feeding yourself. Everyone isn't as lucky as you are in the situation of being able to get nice food. Um, so definitely, while, well, you know, she liked and, like, encouraged, you know, getting good quality and, like, specialty ingredients, like, at the end of the day, you just need to eat and just try and eat the best food you can eat. Um, which is nice to see, you know, a super famous um, cookbook author be kind of cognizant of where mm -hmm. people are coming from. I think that's a huge thing too for that day and age as well. Like, yeah, a lot, of, first of all, a lot of the cooks, the chefs, you know, the food 
experts were men, first of mm-hmm. all. Um, and also they weren't, you know, they didn't necessarily all cater to people who were, you know, living, you know, in the low to middle class and, you know, didn't always have money for that kind of thing. And like still yeah. true to, to this day, like I, I know I always look for recipes that are not only healthy, but then the second big thing is that are these ingredients easily to access like Mm -hmm. and not cost a fortune every time yeah so you know she was sort of thinking I guess very early on about that and it's good that she was yeah and over her career of publishing cookbooks um there wasn't a ton of information on like any one part of her life it was a lot of just overviews that I could find um Mm -hmm. but she's published over 25 cookbooks um and wow. like some are different cuisine focused um but i saw like there is a crock pot one um <laughs> there was the italian one there was a chinese um or asian themed one um so definitely very international and different like ac- accessibility levels um because mm-hmm. you know we all know that, you know, a good crock pot meal can be a lot more affordable than, you know, a nice Italian dinner or something <laughs> like. Um, yeah. One of the great benefits of a crock pot is that it can take, you know, not the or a tougher cut of meat, so not the best cuts of meat mm-hmm. and make them really good and tender and juicy. And, you know, because it's not a prime cut of meat you can get it for a lot better of a price or a lot more of an affordable price. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like I said, she's published or she had published over 25 cookbooks over her long career. Um, and in October, 1973, so pretty early in her, um, at least publishing career, she was appointed to the federal government's interim commission on consumer standards Um, Making sure that, um, you know, what people were buying or, you know, actually up to snuff. Um, Mm -hmm. She published the Encyclopedia of Food and Cookery in 1983. And between that and her first cookbook, the Margaret Fulton cookbook, um, are kind of considered the Bible of Australian cooking. Or modern Australian <laughs> cooking. Um, yeah. Yeah. It I sounds saw... very much like the um, the Joy of Cooking, which, like, yeah. I always refer to as, like, the cooking Bible. Mm-hmm. Like, we have a copy of it. And it's like, yeah, this is, like, what I grew up knowing as, like, the one. Because it has, it's like a reference. It's like an encyclopedia, but it also teaches you how to make things. But, you know, you have to be fairly... Um, accustomed to your kitchen and to cooking to sort of understand some of the things they're talking about. It's not laid out necessarily in a nice recipe style. Yeah, and like looking through last summer, shortly after she passed away, there was a lot of articles um, in The Guardian, New York Times, and um, the big Australian paper, it's escaping my mind at the moment, um, of like people being like, share, you know, what uh, Margaret Fulton meant in your life um and there is lots of people commenting about how you know they have so many of her cookbooks like her parents or grandparents bought her first cookbook in the late 60s and like still use it today and there's scribbles everywhere and food stains like these are well-loved cookbooks that are passed down or like given to you at like when you move out um to university or your first apartment um got like this is the first cookbook either you're given or you just like go out and buy um one last thing is that she was made a member of the order australia order of australia um and she was added to the list of national living treasures by the national trust in australia so definitely someone important um made huge contributions to cooking and eating in australia um it was commented a few times i saw that in her second cookbook 
um, which was Italian themed. Um, there was a picture guide to how to swirl your spaghetti properly. Uh. Because, like, <laughs> that was such a foreign idea in Australia at the time. Mm. That's kind of, yeah, I guess we sort of take it for granted because we also, I mean, we didn't get the true authentic Italian version, but a lot of things were, like, brought over to the North America and, like, were Americanized in a way. Mm-hmm. So, like, we did have, like, spaghetti quite, I mean, growing up we had, I that's all, like, a big staple meal in yeah. my family. Um, but, and, you know, like, you would sort of see in TV, too, like, a lot of families, like, TVs and movies, like, you would often see spaghetti as a dish, so that's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting to think, like, yeah, I guess it would have taken a lot longer to get over there, not just because of distance and things like that, or communication, but also culture, maybe they just weren't, you know, it wasn't something that they were as open to, whereas, like, over here we get, I mean, they get a lot of immigrants, too, in Australia as well, but um, we are so open to trying all these different cultures and different foods, Mm -hmm. um, that we're just we're just so welcome that it just happens and we we have tons of uh, restaurants of all different types of cuisines so like Italian Japanese um, yeah. Chinese Korean um, even like middle East, a lot of mil- more Middle Eastern restaurants I've seen popped up mm-hmm. especially in our community um, so just like food from all over and like it's yeah it's interesting to hear that yeah um, she had an Asian um, cuisine or themed cookbook at one point. Um, and, like, in that, it had, like, a step-by-step on how to use chopsticks. Hmm, um, yeah. Yeah, because, like, chopsticks are hard enough to use if you aren't used to it. Yeah. yeah. I think, too, based on, um, I have family who lives in Australia, and, um, of my uncle and two cousins, I know that, um, Thai food and, like, Singapore so close, like, a lot of those countries are more of an influence in Australia than, say, like, European cuisines like Italian or French. Um, so that m- might also have to do with it, too. Yeah. I don't know. But she sounds like she was a great cook and mm-hmm. definitely very down-to-earth and I wish I could have found a list of her cookbooks to kind of figure out what kind of themed they were. Yeah. But like that would I be couldn't cool. even find that. Like there was the information that I found was very sparse in between and just gave like very general overviews of her life. It makes you wonder too sometimes when I get um I'm doing research on some of these ones who are international um guides, um if it has to do with the fact that I'm Googling from Canada and maybe if I were in Australia, the search results would be different, but I'm not sure how that works. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Like you would think if she's such a big name, there would be more on her, but maybe she's just more private. Maybe a lot of these former girl guides are. Yeah. That kind of got that was, she was definitely more private. Um, And like, even thinking back, like how much, do we know about, I don't know, someone like Julia Child, like, mm. do, like, these, you know, people who are very specialized in one little kind of niche um, that doesn't capture the imagination like someone like an astronaut or an athlete does. Um, mm. If there just, like, isn't the interest, so there isn't more information on it. Mm, true. I think also, too, it'll be interesting to see in, say, like, 40, 50 years what it'll be like to research people because more is being shared on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, like, in comparison to, say, my parents, I share a lot more of my life online yeah. than, say, they, they would be at that age. There's just not, you know, they just wasn't around, so they didn't share mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So there's not that information. But maybe that'll change in the coming decades. Be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, so that wraps up our, uh, she was a girl guide, you know, which is great because I can hear my stomach rumbling after all this talk about biscuits <laughs> and food. Oh, um, I want to try one of those triple chocolate biscuits. <laughs> I know. I went to Shakespeare last week, so I have some butter tarts from Shakespeare pies. Oh. Oh, um, <laughs> but you know. I could also so go for a s'more. I'm at a campfire mm. singing our campfire song this week, 
which is I've got that BP spirit. I've got the BP spirit. got that BP spirit. Uh, this was a special request also by Eloise. Um, she wanted us to do this song. I think we had originally had a different song on the list, but I decided to put this one in mm-hmm. um, as per her request. Um, and although it, again, has no information on terms of who's credited for writing the song or writing the music for it, um, I did find some information about it um, in terms of I've got the lyrics in us and... Um, the song that you will have heard, I think, if it we chose it, was by actually a group of Irish girl guides. Um, so it is actually known worldwide, and it's kind of like one of those songs then that you can sing no matter where you are in the world. Like everyone knows Baden Powell, Baden yeah. Powell's. So the song sort of goes along with that theme. Like everyone's part of this this organization, and you know we've all got that BP spirit. Like we were sort of saying earlier that like you know, guiding wherever you go still has the same values and, you know, ideals and mission statements. So sort of goes along with this song. Um, she said um, that it's very popular in Australia um, and that they, it's a song that is very much fun to sing at a campfire. Um, and her unit loves the song alongside with Alice the Camel, which is one that we covered a couple of weeks ago. And um, they also really love the fast food song, which I think everyone <laughs> knows. Like these are all, songs that are you know it doesn't matter where you come from i think like easy to learn easy to catch yeah. on to. And i wonder if their fast food song is the same as ours or if they've yeah like more local restaurants well into one thing that i think of as well is that mcdonald's is usually part of it um yeah. but in australia i think they either call it maccas or um i think it might be maccas they, they call it something different in a lot mm-hmm. of countries. Um, so I wonder how that, that line goes. But yeah, it'd be interesting yeah. to see what, and like, what sort of chain restaurants. Yeah. I don't actually know. Do they have chain restaurants Pizza Hut? Like, I don't know. Red yeah. La- they, do they have Red Lobster? I know they do seafood. Like, they're a country surrounded by the ocean. So, mm-hmm. you know, definitely have the seafood thing. But they probably don't have Red Lobster. I think they must have their own... Uh, that's something I gotta look into now. Now I'm super curious. Yeah. <laughs> Eloise, email um, us. Let us yeah. know what you sing in your fast food song. Yeah, I should have thought of that. I didn't ask her. But she'll listen, I'm sure, and she'll respond. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so anyway, back to this song. Um, <laughs> it's a fun and catchy song, and it has five different verses. Um, and like I said, it sort of has an international reach. And. Um, Again, like I said at the top of the episode, it is available on the Girl Guides of Canada Let's Sing resource page. So if you're a Canadian guide, you're listening, and you've heard the song for the first time and you want to share it, um, all the resources are available on the Let's Sing page. Um, It includes the song itself, the lyrics, and the music if you, say, play the piano and want to play it, or the guitar. Yeah. all that stuff is online. Um, and the Irish Girl Guides sing a really nice rendition if you want to go on YouTube um, and just search. I've got that BP spirit. You will. It'll come up as one of the first ones. It's a fun one. I like it. And I think it's something once we do campfire, when we can do it back in person, mm-hmm. maybe when it's easier to teach. I think it's easier to teach songs in person. Definitely. But maybe you can do it online. Um, I would like to incorporate this into the into the the songbook the one that you know in your repertoire that was the word i was looking for (laughs) into my girl guide campfire repertoire yeah it's a good one definitely um yeah like i i like to think i know a lot of campfire songs um even if like i can't think of you know the words or tunes off the top of my head um like if someone sings you know a line or two i can usually remember most of it but like hearing the t- um title of the song or name of the song and reading the lyrics like i ha- don't think i've ever heard this 
Um, so I'm excited to add a new campfire song to my list because I think every campfire song we've done so far I've known already. So mm. yeah. Yeah, and it's funny too because now I've got this tune stuck in my head because it is pretty catchy. Um, I'm trying to think if it's a tune that I knew beforehand or not. But I don't think it was. But it's you know, it could easily become one that will be stuck in my head. <laughs> well, we'll uh just have to make sure whenever we can meet <laughs> with our girls again, um, that we teach it to them and, you know, do some more singing next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that brings us to the end of another episode. Um, so make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, pretty much everywhere. Um, and wherever you're finding us, please give us a five-star rating interview. Let us know that you're listening and enjoying. Yeah, and you can also let us know all about that, too, on social media. We're at GuidesOwn on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, it'll also help you keep up to date with the new episodes, see any podcast news, any of our cool tweets that we're sharing um and even some behind the scenes bits Mm -hmm. and as always as we part we wish everyone good guiding good guiding day is done gone the sun from the lake from the hills from the sky all is well safely rest peace is nigh